0: You are listening to Mars Attacks Podcast, a member of Talking Metal Digital and the Cast Iron Ring. Hey, this is Michael Lando from Adrenaline Mob. Hi, this is Bruce Kulik. Hey, everyone, this is Dave Menichetti from Y&T. Hi, this is Chris Poland. Hey, this is George Lynch, Lynch Mob, Docking,
1: and all kinds of other projects.
0: Hey, pay attention. This is Joe Stump. You're listening to Mars Attacks podcast. This is Mark Zavon from Kill Devil Hill. G'day, this is Guy from Avon. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. This is Chris from
2: In This Moment. Hey, this is Ron Bumblefoot Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
0: Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this piece and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yow! Hi, yeah, okay. So hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> say no. Listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast. Here is your host, Victor. Let's get it up.
3: Welcome, one and all, to episode number eighty seven of the Mars Attacks Podcast. I am your host, Victor. And we are here with another exciting episode. Uh, This is something that originally aired a few weeks ago on Talking Metal Digital on the live Mars Attack show that I did a few weeks back. Uh, This was actually done the same night as uh, the Mark Striegel interview that was released two episodes ago. But I did want to release that in conjunction with... um, in conjunction with the Z-Man and Chris from Decibel Geek podcast episodes. What I wanted to do was couple this with the Vinny Apicy episode. And as I've been mentioning in the last few episodes, due to my work situation, was really slammed there towards the end. Didn't get this episode out when I wanted to. So what I did was I split this up. I needed to get that Vinny content out there. And I'm happy because... Both Blabbermouth and Classic Rock Magazine did pick up on it, as did Brave Words, had as did Anti-Music, who usually, both of those last two that I mentioned, usually pick up on everything that I post. And there's always a big difference between how many people listen to an episode, whether you get it on Blabbermouth, or you get it someplace like Classic Rock Magazine. So thrilled to see uh, the caption that, the the caption or the part of the interview that Vinny mentioned, um, like I said during the last episode, I wasn't trying to stir any shit up. Uh, I've never tried to do that, honestly, uh, because I don't like that avenue. And there are enough people that do that, where hoo, we're gonna, you know, let's uh, let's punk this guy. Let's let's say this, you know, since we're on the other side of a microphone, we can say whatever we want. Uh, that's sort of not my bag, so. Uh, What I did was I asked him, you know, about Zach Wild's comments regarding uh, Sabbath not being Sabbath after Dio left. And these various publications picked up on it, or online publications, I should say. And it's great because, you know, again, I'm not trying to stir any shit up, but Vinny was there. Uh, Vinny is someone who always has come off as very uh like a very normal guy and i've never really you know and his his brother the same thing i mean as big a stars as they could go out as and you know be pompous about certain things they're they're definitely not so um i asked him the question and he answered it, and he had just played with Zach, so there was you know another reason to do so, and he wasn't offended by it. I mean, if you read the comments or if you listen, if you go back to episode 86, which you could hear right here on com, or through Stitcher, or through iTunes, you'll hear the entire interview. It runs about 35 minutes or so. And I I think it was cool because there were a lot of things that Vinny talked about that I don't think other people have asked him about. At least I haven't heard other people ask him about. And I always try to do that, try to do something a little different. It sort of goes along with my musical taste. Uh, Kick things off there with a little Led Zeppelin, Achilles' Last Stand off of Presents. A great, great song. But something that when people talk about Zeppelin, they may not, you know talk about the presence album all that much i think everything that they put out has got some good stuff on it even coda so i was having a discussion with some people online regarding these zeppelin reissues i don't know i was sort of hoping for a little more it wasn't as as um how could i put this when the whole Kiss Destroyer reissue came out, I understand the album was mixed differently by Bob Ezrin. They put the original cover back on there. The original with the previous, you know, outfits that the band was wearing. And they put Ace's solo back on. Flaming Youth, a song that he wrote, so go figure, Dick Wagner plays the guitar solo on the track that we've been listening to all the all these years, but <laughs> whatever. Um I thought that was sort of crappy because there's so many different things that I'm sure the band had lying around that would have been cool or maybe some type of odds and ends, you know, live compilation where, I don't know, you put together a bunch of tracks that you've hardly heard live over the years, you know. I think that would be something that would really kick ass. They sort of did that with You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best, where you got Let Me Know, you got um, uh, Ladies in Waiting, no, Two-Timer, and there was another track, Take Me, that's it. There were four in total. I know that I'm missing one, but I'm going off the top of my head here, so I apologize. I should have done the research on this. But uh, anyway, you you get where I'm going here. They could have done something really cool, like included... You know those tracks or ladies in waiting uh included other things that weren't on Alive or Alive 2 that were played by the original lineup throughout the years. Or you know, get some live get get something that was live from that tour where they did play Flaming Youth Live. I think they played it like two, three times on that tour, so that would have been cool in my opinion. But uh, anyway, this episode Basically, what I want to do, or what I wanted to do, and again, this all comes back to the Hall of Fame and the whole Kiss thing, uh, but this sort of goes out and touches upon what a lot of bands have done over the years, in my opinion. And when a band has gotten hugely popular, the band almost crosses a line and goes from just being a band and becomes a brand. And at one point... At what point does this happen? I mean, KISS was probably the first band to really take this to another level. And you'll hear me mention this during the interview. A lot of bands have bashed KISS for certain things, but lo and behold have followed suit. That would be Motley Crue, that would be Aerosmith, that would be Van Halen... You know, they they all poo-pooed the whole meet-and-greet. All these bands have done it at one point or another. They've poo-pooed, you know, uh, paying different things or having different types of exclusive packages being offered, similar to these VIPs. And that's why I think KISS started doing those, you know, acoustic performances that they've been doing these last few tours because, again, they wanted to sort of stay ahead of the curve uh, from what other bands were doing. So so that's what today's episode is going to touch about. The reason that Zeppelin kicked things off is because the Led Zeppelin T-shirt that has the, if if you've seen the old vinyl, and I'm not sure if in any of the CDs this appears, but you have the old swan song, um, Angel, or however you want to look at it. The logo that they had with the angel sort of falling out of the sky or or whatever that's supposed to be. That t-shirt is the t-shirt that sold the most out of any musical merchandise in the entire history of the rock music industry. Second and third, we'll touch on tracks by both of those bands coming up. Before that, I do want to remind you guys, I touched on Talking Metal Digital there for a second. I do want to... Mentioned to go over to ironcastring.com and check out all of the podcasts that are part of that network. Obviously, I'm part of both Talking Metal Digital and the Iron Cast Ring. There are a lot of great shows on there. We have Scott from Focus on Metal on here today. Uh, We've also had in the past members of Radioactive Metal and uh, Signal to Noise and Iron City Rocks on. Uh, I've also been on shockwave skull sessions in the past with Bob Nelbandian. so uh, there are all those great shows along with wiki metal bonehand half hour uh bob's other shows the couch of metal and the hard radio podcast uh, there's also the wicked ways podcast as well as and I apologize if I've already mentioned wiki metal but there's wiki metal <laughs> so there you go go to iron ironcityrocks.com to check out about Iron City Rocks, but I meant to say dot CastIronRing.com. And don't forget about Talking Metal Digital, as I said. Check out the stream that we have up there. We've refreshed music uh, within the last um, few weeks. Be looking to do that again shortly. Uh, when I have some time this weekend, we'll hope to update some of the tracks on there. I don't know, what do you guys like listening to? You guys like listening to more of the classic tracks? or you like newer tracks? You like you like deep tracks? What do you like listening to? Let me know. Drop me a line at input at marsattacksradio.com or you can leave your comments right there on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash marsattacksradio. Uh, You can also go to Talking Metal Digital on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Talking Metal Digital, and let us know as well. I'm able to read those comments, as everyone else is, but any time that there are comments posted, you know I do check them out. What else? Oh, you could also drop me a line via Twitter or the G Plus page. We're trying to work that up as I've um, read a whole spiel on how that helps promote web pages so that's essentially what we're doing. So So go to Google Plus, go to our Google Plus page, which is Google.com forward slash plus Mars Attacks Radio and help get the word out there. Hit the plus one or plus whatever number you see next to an article or next to the page. And help get the word out there to your friends and whoever else might be interested in checking out the show. All these great links are up on the com website anyway. So you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and so on and so forth. You'll find all that on the right-hand side of the site. You'll also find ways of helping the podcast out by hitting the donate button and donating whatever it is that... Um, that you would like, if you can donate a dollar, that would be cool. If you can donate twenty, that would be awesome. Also, if you want to donate uh, a specific amount of money and get a song played during the show, we can arrange that for you. So, and maybe I'm opening up a, a can of worms here, but if you have a band and you want to get them played. Send me a message, input at marsattacksradio.com, dot com, and depending on who it is and how kind of a donation you you want to make, you know we might uh, we might be able to work something out there. How about that? We Might be able to sponsor the show for a week or or something like that. So we'll see. Uh, we're open to all that good stuff. Also, there are links to affiliate stores that we are connected to per se if you go to any of those affiliate stores uh, you know we get a cut of what you purchase you don't pay anything else we just get a small cut of exactly what it is that you purchased Uh, the best way of doing that is by going to the Amazon store and clicking on our Amazon link before uh, before you've actually um uh, gone ahead and done a purchase. I apologize. I'm, I'm opening up the site and still trying to figure out why Spotify isn't displaying my entire playlist for 2013. And I'm a little late on that, but with everything going on, I just kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off. And I have a list of, you know, about a 100 hard rock and metal albums that I checked out. Wasn't absolutely everything that I listened to. I probably missed a few things here and there, but you guys get the general idea. There's also some EPs that I checked out that I really liked and some cool non-hard rock or metal albums that I enjoyed as well. So check those out. And again, you could either leave a comment right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com or you can send us a message through one of the various avenues that we've already covered. So basically, getting back to today's topic... Bands that have become very popular and become more of an extension of themselves and become a brand. Here's a band that I know of that I've personally asked people, hey, what's your favorite song by the New York band, the Ramones? And have people look at me like, you know, you're asking... If they if they'll some if they'll perform some type of a lewd act with you, <laughs> because there are a lot of people that think the logo is cool but don't actually know that the Ramones is a band. Yes, Johnny, Joey, CJ. If you have one of the you know mid '90s shirts, like from when I went to go see them, and Marky, or you could have the DD and Tommy version. The Ramones, yes, they it's whoever is getting money off of their merch, you know, has to be getting some great checks at the end of the month or, you know, whatever it is, merch checks or or royalty checks or whatever it is. I mean, because the band off of that logo alone and whoever designed that logo, I hope that they had some type of a deal in place where they made a, a good amount of money off of just the logo, so... Anyway, here's a track that I've always loved since the first moment that I've heard it. It is off of the album Brain Drain, and this is I Believe in Miracles by the Ramones.
0: a good child If she can find a reason to forgive Then I can find a reason to live I used to be on an endless feeling Believing miracles cause I want. I've been blessed with the power to survive Enter all this years something
3: love that song. If I ever did some type of a cover show, it would be a track that I would definitely push to do live, you know? Just think that that song would be a lot of fun to play. So yes, the Ramones in their t-shirts have taken things to the next level. Here's another big money winner at your local Hot Topic store. And, by the way, I have all three of the t-shirts that that I'm going to discuss. I did Ramones. I did Zeppelin. And this band actually wrote a song about the Ramones, which the Ramones later covered. So the song Ramones, by the Ramones, is actually not originally by the Ramones. Got it? It's originally a Motorhead track. And Zeppelin, Ramones logo... And the motorhead logo are the three biggest selling merchandise pieces or merchandise t-shirts of all time when it comes to any hard rock or metal act. So that's sort of what we're going for here, you know, the the transition over from a band to a brand and seeing these t-shirts at your local hot topic or Walmarts. So I'm seeing them over here. In Spain at the local, you know, equivalent to Walmart here. So, and I know the last time I was in the States, which is close to five years ago. Uh, actually, yeah, four four years and change. I was seeing them at Walmart already. So, I can just imagine what it's like today. So, let's get into a track off of the great Motorhead album, 1916. Name of this track is No Voices in the Sky. No Voices in the Sky there by Motorhead coming off of the classic 1916 album. And Motorhead is a band that has had a lot of turnover over the years. Ramones had it to an extent. I mean, they've had two bass players and they've had, what, three drummers, if I'm not mistaken? Tommy, Marky, and Richie. But Motorhead has had quite a few different lineup changes. Uh, Before the classic, I almost said Eddie Trunk, uh, Fast Eddie Clark and Filthy Animal Taylor, there was another lineup. Uh, After them, there was Brian Robson came in and played with them as did Pete Gill, who played on a few of their albums and was also part of Saxon. Uh, There was also a drummer in... Frankie Goes to Hollywood had the same name. So I remember as a kid I was wondering is is this the same Peter Gill? Obviously the internet didn't you know didn't exist back then to know whether they were the same guy or not. But yeah, he he was there when the band premiered as a four-piece on the British comedy The Young Ones, which I'm a big fan of, and they played Ace of Spades as a four-piece for the first time on that show. In a in their um, living room, so in the flat of in their in their flats living room, they played Ace of Spades, and I remember seeing that as a kid. Obviously, we were getting all of those um, British comedies on MTV at the time, and remember seeing that. Holy crap! They have uh, you know a hard rock band. It's it's Motorhead. Holy shit! And at that time, Wurzel... Who just passed away within the last few years, along with Phil Campbell, who's still in the band, were in that lineup. And later on, Phil Taylor did come back. See, I almost, I almost had Phil Campbell. No, I almost had Phil Taylor as the other guitarist. But Phil Taylor's Filthy Animal Taylor. Um, he did come back to the fold. For the 1916 album, he was part of the band. Uh, he was also in the band for March or Die, which came out after that, which has Ozzy on it, has Slash on it. And then after that, we had Mickey D step in to the band and Wurzel departed after the Bastards album, if I'm not mistaken. So what I'm getting at with all this Motorhead talk is as far as bands getting to that huge of a level, becoming brands, there's obviously an emotional attachment Involved with a band. Someone like Motorhead has sort of been able to skip that. I know that there are people that have cried out for Eddie Clark and uh, Phil Taylor over the years, but it isn't the same as, say, a Kiss or a Van Halen or, I don't know, with Iron Maiden when Bruce wasn't there. You know, it's sort of a different deal. They've almost been able to skate by. I think it's... Also, due to the fact that this lineup is so good, with you know, with Phil Campbell and with Mickey D. Mickey D. is just outrageous on the drums, and it's another case of, in my opinion, with a Peter, Chris, Eric Singer type deal, you have a younger guy that's a very in-demand player. Before joining Motorhead, he was doing all types of different studio work. Uh, he had played on the Don Dawkins solo album. And he had been involved in a lot of different studio albums. Uh, He still does studio work from time to time. But, I mean, obviously, you know, it isn't as known as what he did with King Diamond and and obviously the one Don Dockin album that I mentioned. Um, Apparently, he appeared on a Halloween album as well and has been part of various tribute albums. But you get where I'm going. I mean, if you listen to the song Sacrifice, there's no question whatsoever (laughs) as to how good of a drummer he is. But there's always that emotional attachment with guys when they get into a band. And again, certain bands get a pass. And other bands, it's a big deal. Like Kiss. So we're going to talk about all of that. Another band that has been known for their member changes, Judas Priest. I was just thinking how I was going to approach this. Judas Priest. Rob Halford isn't their original singer. Scott Travis is, what, their third or fourth drummer in the band. Richie, who's their new guitarist, uh, is technically their third guitarist in the recording lineup. Uh, But if you look at the... True history of the band, apparently, and this has been well documented. The only one that, you know, was with the original inception of the band is KK Downing. KK's gone, so there's zero original members in the band. Glenn Tipton joined a few years after the band was formed. So, I mean, it's similar to the Pete Best, you know, Beatles type deal where. There, you know, Ringo didn't come along until later, so it's similar to that where the band was playing and Glenn came on, he really wasn't a songwriter or the big-time songwriter that he became until, you know, the band really uh, started having some sort of confidence in him, and this is an album that actually turned a lot of people off, but is a favorite of a previous co-host on here, a special guest, I should say, uh, Chris from the Despo Geek Podcast. This is Turning Circles, coming off of the Point of Entry album. Another little tidbit for you there. The U.S. cover and the European cover are not the same. The U.S. cover has that long strip of dot matrix printing in the middle of a desert. The European cover has some sort of statue of some sort in the either early evening or early morning. So I guess that didn't sort of get across (laughs) for for one marketer or another. And they ended up doing one thing in one place and one thing in the other place, similar to the whole Hellbent for Leather killing machine. The album is called Killing Machine Everywhere Outside of the U.S., And it's called Hellbent for Leather in the U.S., so go figure. Anyway, this is Turning Circles coming off of Point of Entry, and after that we'll jump right into the interview with Scott from Focus on Metal and the Cast Iron Ring. Turning Circles. Joining us on the phone, on Skype, thanks to modern technology, is Scott from Focus on Metal. How are you
2: tonight, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, happy to be talking to you again.
3: Yeah, it's always awesome when we're able to uh, hook up and just talk about different things uh, regarding music. And I do have to say that uh, Scott has been a very big help. Uh, with this new setup that I'm trying to put together here to improve the quality of all the shows that I do. So I do have to uh,
2: thank him immensely for that. Yeah, No problem. No problem. It's, it's funny, too, that remember the last time we were on a podcast together, we were talking about Kiss.
3: Yeah. How strange <laughs> is that, huh?
2: Yeah. Kind of weird.
3: <laughs> so with everything that has been going down these last few weeks... um. I really wanted to sort of attack the whole subject from a different angle because I think a lot of people, a lot of us, and me included, would be, I would consider myself a wannabe musician. You know, I record at home, uh, play a few shows out, you know, from time to time with friends and whatnot. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that once you get to a certain level, like Kiss, or like Iron Maiden, Metallica, all these types of bands, the band transitions from being just a band to actually becoming a brand. Oh, yeah. And actually is a whole different monster. Um, no pun intended, they're going back <laughs> to Kiss. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in the end, I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of people comprehend that when when this whole. Uh, Kiss discussion is now coming up with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who's in the band and who owns what. And, you know, and there are a bunch of different bands that this has come up with. I've already played uh, Little Ozzy and I played Judas Priest, who technically have zero original members from its original formation from before they were signed in the band currently.
2: Mm-hmm, correct.
3: So, um, although we all know the band with rob halford with uh kk with uh ian hill uh from the beginning well actually rob wasn't even on the first album originally so yeah um there's another example where they've gone to a whole different level and priest has become a brand on its own what's your take on this
2: well you know i think you're right and i think that um I think it depends on the band, too, as well, that I think we had kind of a almost a pre-show a few years back with Van Halen and everything that went on with Van Halen on the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. So it's almost like a precursor to what we have going on now with Kiss. But Kiss is such a brand, more so than probably any other band out there right now. And they've and unlike a lot of other bands, too. They've really purposely positioned themselves and zealously guarded that brand as well. And I know, I think like, you know, we gave the example of Maiden and Maiden, definitely they're a brand and, you know, Ron, you know, in the management seat and Steve Harris have tried to also kind of really protect that brand, but they kind of do it in a way where they, they brand themselves towards the metal fan and except for the occasional unfortunate seeing, um, you know, the Maiden shirt in Walmart or something like that, I think, They're one kind of brand, but Kiss is kind of this major, you know, Levi's, Coca-Cola, the whole nine yards type of a thing, much more so than I think any other band out there.
3: And they're the first band that really went out and did a lot of this stuff. You know, it's funny that a lot of bands knock them, knock Gene, for example, for, oh, he's all about the money. But then you see, you know, Van Halen and Motley Crue and Aerosmith start to do these meet and greets. And they all start to put out action figures, and they all start to put out, you know, various things that uh, maybe Kiss was one of the first bands to, you know, do this. Actually, I mean, Kiss was the first band I would think to have its own action figures, and a lot of these things. Maybe the Beatles had yeah. some same type of things going on, but really, it was the Beatles, then Kiss, and then I really think in. Uh, what, when when the early 90s, I guess, when a lot of merch sales went down, you started seeing Todd McFarlane getting involved in doing dolls, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, you started seeing merchandising going in a really, in a different direction than just T-shirts and stickers and, and buttons and patches. And a lot of this stuff, Kiss had been doing for years already.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is very true. They They got into the game you know, really early, I can, you know, I've got, I still actually have with all my vinyl KISS records, if you, inside of it, you know, every single one of them, except for the first one, came with some type of a merch advertisement in there, and I've got, you know, all of them in there, so, and that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg as compared to, you know, what they have now, which is just unbelievable when you go on KISS online, the amount of stuff that there is.
3: Right, I, I agree, I mean, they've definitely... They've definitely gone a, a above above and beyond, um, you know, I don't know anyone else that'll put out a Kiss Coffin mm. Uh, mm. or condoms or
2: a Hello Kitty. <laughs> I think the other difference <laughs> is that, you know, you talked about like the Beatles. And the Beatles were very early in that kind of a thing where they finally realized, hey, we can market to teens. So I think it was a very limited market that was really, you know, as their kind of Beatle Beatlemania ebbed. Merch really kind of disappeared for the Beatles because that kind of that teen market thing disappeared, and it was the FM music listener that was really into the Beatles at that point, and they weren't buying merch. But I think what you've got now, and you talked about being in the '90s, is I think you had a lot of people like myself that you know grew up in the you know in the '70s, in the '80s, and all of a sudden now you maybe you have a little bit more disposable income, and you came up with that thing of buying merch, and as an adult you're buying merch. Where if you think back to you know, the 70s or the 80s, you wouldn't have, you know, 40- and 50-year-old people buying, you know, metal and rock band merchandise.
3: Right. Yeah, I think that plays a lot into it. I remember a few years ago where they talked about how VH1 was slanting towards um, playing more metal and more, uh, you know, classic rock and things like that because the people that were taking over VH1 were in more or less our age group, people that had grown up listening to this stuff. So what they were going after, the market they were going after, were people their same age. Um, I think that's, as you're saying, you know, the coming of of age and being able to have more disposable income to go out and maybe, you know, buy a 1500 Gibson Les Paul uh, that has, you know, uh, Joe Perry or Ace Frehley, a uh, headstock or a signed headstock, or you, you know what I'm getting at. Do you have a, ca- uh, do you have a camera
2: on my guitars right now? Is that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, there's actually, there's a, uh, the, the still shot that you have, there's some sort of a, um, Les Paul behind you. So I just went for it. Uh-huh. I said, it'd be gotta, gotta be one of those things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would definitely, you know, if you think about it back in, you know, 76, 77 I don't even think anyone would have ever thought of of things like a Kiss cruise. I mean, that just that is such a you know a leap up from from t-shirts and belt buckles and hats,
3: right? And other bands are starting to do that. It, the, the cruise I saw Motorhead is going to have the motorboat <laughs> if they're calling it, and um, you know recently you've had all the what the seventy thousand
2: tons uh, of metal, yep,
3: tons of metal. You know. Things like that, where you have, again, people with disposable income instead of, you know, going out and flying overseas to check out a festival. You go to the Caribbean in the middle of the, you know, of the uh, the winter, the beginning of spring. And you're able to check out all these bands and hang out with them. And I even think those cruises are even cheaper than than the Kiss cruise.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're they're just like, again, I mean, it's a marketing machine, right? They're going to maximize their return on on everything that they're doing. So, you know, it kind of stands to reason how expensive it's going to be.
3: Now, as far as keeping the name going, I mean, there's so many bands. I know with Slayer, for example, with Lombardo being out of the band, with um, Jeff Henneman passing away, I know that there were people calling for slayer to uh to retire the name uh there's the whole Allison chains thing with lane stanley passing away there are so many other bands um that we could get into who have changed members and the fans have cried out oh you know you guys should change the name of the band to something else and with kiss obviously it comes back to the spaceman and catman makeup which gene and paul legally own the trademark i mean if you think about a band like Slayer, there's no way that they could make the same amount of money, book themselves at the same level uh festivals, let's say, that they play out uh, throughout the summers in Europe under the name Carrie mm, King and Friends or <laughs> Tom Mariah and you know, the Born Agains, who, you know, I uh It, It just doesn't make sense. I think people don't sort of separate, you know, again, a small band that you're playing, you know, at your local club a few times a year has absolutely nothing to do with the juggernaut of a band that's playing around the world that already has this brand where when you see Slayer, when you see that logo, you know exactly, you know, what you're talking about. You know, you know exactly what you're in for. Um, it isn 't the same as some unknown band or some death metal band that has something that looks like you know uh, some some tree you know for <laughs> lack of a better term and you know the sort of cliche that 's been going out, <laughs> going around these last few years, but you know these bands have worked on an image and they have a certain thing that they 're bringing forward to obviously attract money and fans if not they wouldn 't be doing it.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you know, Richie and I, you know, on the show once we had kind of had this big conversation about this too. And, um, you know, we kind of focused it around Queensryche, which I think is really a great example of what you're talking about almost to the nth degree where, you know, Jeff's off doing one thing and the rest of the band's doing something else. And if you go even on some of the ticket sites, you'll find that they are having to have the wrong picture of which band is actually playing the show. It's, they're both trying to maintain that same image but only one of them really can really carry it forward and do it effectively and it's it's really a crappy situation for fans where they just don't know right. what to believe who is the real queen's right who should carry the name should anybody carry the name it's it you know and in the end of it i think the, the fans are the ones that end up losing they go to the show expecting that's to see cool. one thing and they're like this isn't what i wanted
3: right right and that's i mean the i guess that that goes way back to the 60s as well because you hear Steppenwolf went through that where there were up to two to three different versions of the band. Uh, L.A. Guns also Mm -hmm. in, in recent years, the same exact thing that you just described with Queensryche, you know. Were you getting the Tracy Guns version or were you getting, you know, Phil Lewis? So many people identify with the lead singer and the voice and associate that to the band. Yeah. Oh. With Queensryche, it's sort of a special situation here where you have someone that can pull off a lot of, you know, uh, Jeff Tate's earlier vocals, mm. which maybe Jeff can't do anymore. Mm. Right.
2: Uh, and the other part of but, it too, with Queensryche though, is that what's interesting is that the current Queensryche or who I think of as Queensryche, which is with, you know, with Todd Latore. And with with Michael and all the rest of the the regular players in there is they're continuing to carry on the Queensryche legacy that that kind of grew the band. You know, that's like from Empire back. And then you've got Jeff going out and he's doing kind of more his vision of Queensryche, which is kind of everything after Empire, which is almost just a Jeff Tate production, as opposed to like L.A. Guns, where. Both versions of it are kind of going out, continuing to do, L.A. Guns.
3: Right, right. They're they're still trying to put that sort of, well, greatest hit package. Mm-hmm. As much as I love L.A. Guns, but I mean, obviously they're playing Ballad of Jane, and and they, um, you know, they've got a few other hits off of the the earlier albums that they're playing. And and it's a shame that, again, as you're saying, the, the fans are the ones that end up losing out on, on this whole deal. Mm-hmm. But um, with Queensryche, who do you think will end up with the name? I mean, I can honestly see this going the great white route where where we'll see a great white and we'll see Jeff Tate's Queensryche.
2: And you know what, I think that's probably where it's going to go. You know, I looked at some of the recent comments that have come out in the last couple of weeks from Jeff. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where I think it's probably going to end up. You know, when I when I sat down and talked to Michael about it, he was really unsure where any of it was going to end up at all. But I mean, I think really to me, it, if and I said it before on, on my show, too, which is kind of like it doesn't seem like. Jeff's interested in doing what Queensryche was known for doing. So it's like, okay, you're Jeff Tate. Everybody knows you. You're a great vocalist. You can't do what you used to do. You don't have that range anymore, but you still got a great voice. Go and be Jeff Tate and do Jeff Tate stuff and call yourself Jeff Tate. I think as Jeff Tate, you're still going to have an audience and let the other guys be Queensryche.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, especially if you have such a split between as you're saying who wants to play what hmm. you know when, when you have something where you have half of the band saying you know what we want to get back to playing these early songs we miss it we want to write more in this vein we're we're tired in
2: <laughs> yeah. doing
3: the Jeff Tate cabaret that's it uh, it's the
2: cabaret you're right because you see them live I mean you know we see, they come out and they started writing with Queens Queen of the Reich it was like holy crap I'm home this is awesome. This is what I expect from Queens, And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm kind of set in my ways when I expect to hear from those guys, but they, they, you know, you look at the new album they put out and it continues in that same vein. It's like, that's where their heart is at. So it's like, just let them do that.
3: Right. I agree with you. 100%. Jeff Tate has even started doing other stuff outside of Queens, I've seen that he's uh, advertising himself as a, I guess doing a a rock well I just mentioned a cabaret because it was something to the effect of rock and cabaret review or or something along those lines. Um, they also had that picture they released earlier this week with that funky looking uh, wig that he had on his head <laughs> but um, yeah, that that 'll that 'll be interesting um, coming back to kiss once again, what are your feelings on Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer? Using the trademark, uh, spaceman and catman makeup.
2: Well, you know, as a as a long time Kiss fan, um, you know, I felt I felt a little betrayed that that they were doing it. I, I was okay with it initially when it was still on that quote unquote reunion tour kind of a thing, and it was like, all right, maybe this is kind of a stopgap thing, and they're trying. Trust- You know, maybe just trying to make a little money or whatever. And and then afterwards, maybe it'll go back to something different. But now that it's gone along for so many years after that, and they continue to do that. And at the same time, they tend to make kind of deprecating comments back at, you know, former members that used to wear that makeup. It starts to grate on you. Yeah, I,
3: I hear you. I mean, as businessmen and, you know, obviously, Gene and Paul are all about the business. You would think that instead of taking a negative approach to talking about former members, you would maybe try to, at least if it were me, I would try to play up, you know, who I have in the band currently. This is why Tommy's in the band. Tommy's a great musician. He's been with the band since 1989 in one capacity or another. He's played or sung on every single album since, whether he's credited or not. Uh, Eric has been in and out of the band since Revenge as well. Uh, these guys are great players. They, you know, Eric's played with Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, Lita Ford, so on and so forth. So it isn't as if you know they picked up two guys on the corner, uh, you know, somewhere in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and said, "Hey guys, throw on the makeup. We got a show in twenty minutes." You know. Um, they do have guys that can pull the parts off and and I know that a lot of people for them that still you know isn't, that still isn 't enough mm. you know one of the questions that i 've sort of thrown out there recently is if the band owned the catman and the and the spaceman makeup when Peter and Ace first left the band and Eric Carr and Vinnie Vincent were already wearing the makeup that Ace and Peter were wearing, would we still be having this discussion today?
2: Probably not. You know, I I think that they, when they had those new people coming in, I think they, they spent a lot of time with trying to get, for both of those guys, unique personalities for each one of them that went through several different, you know, different revisions wasn't eric like the hawk at one point and right. you know yellow chicken yeah you know it's so you know they they try to do all this thing they cultivated all of that so they made this effort for these new members and it, it's almost like this revisionist history where they just decided to to ignore all of that and just go with this tried and true thing and so you know now you look at it and you go okay well you admit then that the fans really were locked into your original four guys. Those guys really made a contribution, you know, whether or how you feel about them personally or not, it really doesn't make a difference that these people, that's what they identify with. So, so I think you're right. You have a very good point. If they'd originally put Eric and they originally put Vinny in those, in that makeup, I don't think we would have this conversation at all. It's,
3: it definitely is a shame. And, um, If you were offered to play with Kiss in the Spaceman makeup, would you don the Spaceman makeup?
2: Oh, boy. You know, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I was, you know, a big... I was a big ace guy growing up, you know. I had the, the, uh, the ace poster on the wall and, you know, from the solo album, the whole thing. He was... You know, he was one of those earlier guitar influences for me, along with Joe Perry, and I just—I don't know. I—I th- I think I would—I would feel like I'm, as much as people would go, oh, you know, you're a freaking idiot for not doing that. I, <laughs> right. I just feel like like I'd be a hypocrite if I did it. At least to myself, I'd feel like a hypocrite.
3: Okay. Well, that's that's fair enough. You know, I think that that's a valid point. Um, uh, th- this these sort of. I guess my stance with this, and I always um, go back to someone from your neck of the woods, Gary Sharon, mm. where I listened to him a very long time ago uh, when he was promoting his Tribe of Judah project. Mm, yeah, uh, he was he was talking about Van Halen and everything else, and he was saying how a lot of people criticized him for joining the band, mm. and he basically said, you know, okay, I grew up with this being my favorite band of all time, Eddie Van Halen calls me up out of the blue and says, I want you to be the lead singer of my band. He basically said, no one says no to Eddie Van Halen, is basically what he what he goes on to say. And I was able to speak to him. That was during an interview that he did with Eddie Trunk. Mm. I was able to speak to him the next day, and he was like, you know, I think I may have come off as an asshole saying that, this and that. And I said, no, you know, I understand your." your point perfectly, you know, if, if you're really a fan of a band and, you know, if that's a dream of yours to go up there and, and play with them, then, I mean, I think it's all right to admit that. I also, you know, understand where you're coming from as a fan of Ace growing up and, you know, to what point, you know, do you, do you want to get in there? It's also a, a very, tough spot you know I I don't think that I guess monetarily it's very easy for Tommy to do this Mm. but I Mm. mean with all the the stuff that people are throwing his way I'm sure he's not reading the internet much
2: yeah yeah. (laughs) I think the other difference too between you know like me going up there and doing that and Gary joining Van Halen is that you know if you or I were going to do that with Kiss it's pretty much okay, this is what you're going to do. We want you to be here on stage at this, you know, here and then here and then here and play this song this way. And, but, you know, it's only been recently that Tommy's really had any kind of um, his own input, you know, at least off of the the last album and stuff, you know, at least Gary went in and he made an album with the band and he had a lot of input along with that. So we kind of put his, his stamp on that album as opposed to, you know, going up and trying to to fill a part in Kiss, you know, even, you know, even, um, even Bruce Kulick kind of, kind of fell into this too. It was kind of a, all right, you're just a hired gun, kind of do your part, you know, be a good boy and play along kind of a thing. Right. You know, where at least Gary got to have a, at least kind of a little bit more of his artistic integrity, got some ideas out and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's a little bit different. The
3: The one thing that I, do have to say that even though Tommy does have more input and Eric does have more input, and I understand why they're doing the makeup on stage, why do they have to do songs on both Sonic Boom and Monster where they're basically, you know, when lightning strikes, (laughs) okay, we get it. Ace had the lightning, this and that. All right, fine. You're doing the persona on stage, it's a tribute. But when you're doing an original song... Yeah. Let Tommy do his thing. I mean, Tommy is a very gifted uh, guitarist, uh, whether people want to see that or not. Um, Eric is a ridiculously phenomenal drummer, uh, arguably the most talented musician to ever play in Kiss, and you're having him do a you know cheap knockoff of a Peter Chris solo track, <laughs> you know, bad in itself, and you're having him sing on it, you know, I, I don't know, I just no, it, I just don't get it. That's
2: a very very good point, I and mean, you're absolutely right because it's true, you go back and you listen to any of the stuff that Tommy did with Black and Blue well, that's not the song that he would have written, and, and there's a halfway decent body of work to show what Tommy Thayer does when he writes songs, and it's not that.
3: Right. Right, I, I, absolutely. The, the funniest thing that I read recently is that Jamie St. James comes out and says, Oh well, uh, Gene admitted to me that they ripped us off with uh, the song Domino, <laughs> and I was thinking, well, you didn't have any problem singing backing vocals in the studio on the track, so why is this a issue twenty some odd years later? <laughs> so it was just sort of odd. Uh, before I let you go, Scott. We want to let everyone know about Focus on Metal. If they do want to check you out, where should they go to find out about your your shows um, when the podcasts are released? You guys have been doing a great series on an album that I absolutely love and think has been grossly overlooked, which is Dio's Strange Highway. Yeah,
2: yeah. That was a big, big project. I mean, that took us like six or eight months to, to put that all together. That was kind of... Uh you know, almost like metal evolution kind of thing. That's all on on, uh, my co-host, Richie. He came up with that idea. And we still got at least two more parts of that to go. Maybe one more. We get another person we might talk to this spring when they come around on tour. But, um, yeah, that's been a really, really popular thing. And people have been asking us, you know, when's the next album like that you guys are going to do? And um, we have no idea. But, um, yeah, if you want to check out Focus on Metal, uh, basically you can hook us up, uh, focusonmetal.net. And from there, there's uh, all the links to Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff, and uh, we also have a news site, focus on FocusOnMetal.blogspot.com, and we're always posting up all the metal news up there every day. And of course, you can hit us also on CastIronRing.com, where you can also hit up Victor.
3: There you go. Well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, anytime, are... anytime. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be doing this again in the future, without a doubt. Uh, the song that will lead us out of this segment is the john karabi led motley crew should they have been known as motley crew no okay
2: (laughs) i I think even those guys at this point would admit yeah we really weren't motley crew in that one and as much as i love john karabi uh, that wasn't really it wasn't crew and i think they even say it now too
3: okay well we're gonna uh see scott off to Death to his part coming off of the self titled. I almost said self titled <laughs> debut there. It's So difficult for, you know, bands to put out a self titled album in the middle of their career. It's usually the, the debut album that they do that with. So there you go. The self titled album from, what was this, uh, 92, 93, 90,
2: Sounds about somewhere. right. Yeah, somewhere in there.
3: Yeah. All right, here we go. Little Motley Crew.
1: it off don't take leave it on leave it yeah that's it little more mother Tuck podcast
3: all right so there you go it's a little uh, little discussion that Scott and I had and uh, i should have looked up the date of the motley crew album because when i listen to despicable geek podcast not too long ago i keep bringing them up uh, because I did have a, a great discussion with Chris yesterday about podcasting in general. But they they recently discussed that how they'd gone to see John Karabi live and how it was 20 years to the day that the self-titled Motley Crue album came out. So it did come out in 1994. I should have checked the facts on that before selecting the track and blurting that out. So... My bad. So we're going to leave you with another band that there's been controversy where people like Miley Cyrus and Megan Fox have worn T-shirts by this band. It is none other than Iron Maiden. And again, anytime I see this, I find it cool. I think that it's cool to see Chris, the wife beater, or the girlfriend Peter Brown, Uh, wearing a municipal waist jacket and things of that nature with uh, all these thrash patches on it and whatnot. Something like that is a head scratcher. But when I see a Miley Cyrus or a Megan Fox or uh, someone that's in the news, a Kardashian or whatever, wearing this stuff, or Lady Gaga, there's a big deal. Oh, because Lady Gaga was wearing a Maiden t-shirt. I think that that's cool personally, that's advertising the band and maybe opening the band up to people that wouldn't normally, you know, listen to someone. And let's be quite honest, the difference between an album being a huge seller and just an okay seller is bringing casual fans on board. The hardcore fan is always going to buy an album by a specific band. So, I mean... Whether you like it or not, and you don't want to share a band with someone that isn't normally a metalhead or whatnot, but that's the truth, you know. When you have Lady Gaga go out there and wear an Iron Maiden T-shirt, or show up at a Kiss concert and get her pictures taken with the members of the band, you know that's where you get a few extra thousand buys on iTunes, or you know wherever Amazon or, or wherever you're picking up your your cds or mp3s or digital downloads i should say nowadays so so yeah so let's get into a little iron maiden to wrap things up love this song loved clive burrs playing and number of the beast is something that i see at the supermarket all the damn time next to the ramones led zeppelin and motorhead t-shirts so the cover of number of the beast Number of the beast has to be right up there. And due to the popularity of the album when it came out, obviously, due to Maiden's staying power as a band, but also the brand that they became, and go to a hard rocker metal show, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to not find a Maiden t-shirt anywhere in the crowd. So, And this is extra special for me because I always talk about how as much as I love Nico... He's a different beast to what Clive Burr was. The prisoner, just that intro. Listen to him play it on Maiden England, and it's just not the same. There was just something to the late great Clive Burr, almost said Paul Diano. He's still with us for now. <laughs> the late great Clive Burr in his playing that just had something to it. It's similar to when people talk about Ace and Vinny. Vinny was just a technical shredder, a technical beast, a one hell of a songwriter and player. But Ace was something different. Ace is more of a feel player, like what a Jimmy Page can be. I know a lot of people have complained over the years oh, Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, they're so sloppy in their playing. But there's just something to their playing. There's an intangible there, like Ace, that maybe isn't as technically sound as someone, but there's just something to that playing that a lot of people just, they don't have that it factor. And I can talk to my guitar instructor, David from the band Angelus Apatrida, and it's just something that he's so technically gifted, can pull off a lot of the Van Halen stuff, can pull off a lot of just technically sound playing, but you talk to him about Kiss, and he doesn't get it. You talk to him about Zeppelin. He loves Zeppelin, but he loves you too, for example. And he can pull a lot of that stuff off, but there's just something about the feel and not knocking him as a player because he can play circles around me. But there's just something there. There's just some intangible that Ace had That Ace has. And looking forward to. Listening to the album Space Invader. When it does come out. But. There's just something there. About Clive's playing. There's just something different to him. And the Prisoner proves it. So let's check that track out. To end the show. Remember all the places. That you can check us out. If you don't remember. Listen to the fine. I don't know if she's fine. I've never seen her in my life. But listen to the person that was nice enough to do the outro for us. She will explain all the great places where you can keep up with this podcast and the live shows that we do. So here we go. Little Iron Maiden with The Prisoner. See you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
0: listening to Mars Attacks. To follow the radio show and podcast, like us on Facebook by going to Facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. You'll find us on Twitter also. Follow us at Mars Aries 2005. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, or just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to download or stream episodes. Or you can just go to the homepage of marsattacksradio.com to find out more about the radio show and podcast. This concludes our show.